0: Well, good morning again. It's good to be back after a couple of years and uh, really encouraging as well to hear that uh, there's a church team going on mission to Ecuador. Uh, I know Andy quite well. Uh, She used to be part of Latin Inc. And uh, when I first uh, joined uh, the mission, uh, I had the opportunity to be out in Ecuador and uh, uh, spend uh, a couple of days there in Santo Domingo. Uh, It's a great work that she's doing, and uh, it's really super that uh, you've got a heart to to go again, and uh, that's great. Um, This was a church back in, was it 2009, that sent a a mission team to uh, other mission partners that you had at the time, uh, Peter and Linda Lugtigheid in Bolivia. And uh, so that was how my connection sort of grew with this church uh, back from that time. And, uh, yeah, so really encouraged to hear uh, your plans and uh, what you're going to be doing. Uh, it's not really appropriate for me to be advertising about other mission uh, uh, trips over the summer, uh, just to say that we do those, but perhaps uh, what is uh, more appropriate to sort of dovetail in with uh, sort of the short-term mission trip. These are great opportunities to... Uh, not only see but experience uh, the way of life, uh, living conditions, to put a personal name and face on issues that challenge us on the television. Uh, and uh, but going in person and uh, identifying with individuals is uh, uh, is very challenging. Uh, can be quite life-transforming, and it leaves some people thinking. Well, I'm at a time of life when uh, maybe I'm thinking to do something different, uh, maybe between jobs, uh, perhaps considering early retirement. And uh, we do a program called uh, Stride, which is a, a, a kind of a longer stint uh, of going to, uh, in this case, to Latin America. Uh, we work in 12 countries, Ecuador being one of them. And uh, we have 135 people Uh, serving in those 12 countries. So uh, we've been there uh, a long time, and so there's lots of projects. Uh, We don't start projects, but we partner with uh, national believers who've started, and uh, we identify as needing a hand. They want that cooperation uh, and that uh, cross-fertilization of ideas and skills. And uh, this is perhaps where it might be... (laughs) uh, Uh, A ready word for someone here today, or maybe someone that you know of, uh, that is looking for uh, a challenge to explore mission, but without having to kind of sign up for years and years. Uh, And uh, Stride is uh, about going as an individual, or as a couple, or even as a family, and being part of uh, the local Latin Link team in-country. you would be regarded as long-term members, so you have all the support structure there. Uh, of uh, somebody that will mentor somebody that will supervise of uh, going in through language school you don't need to come with Spanish if you've got it that's great but uh, everyone's got to start somewhere and uh, probably half of the people that we have don't come with much or any language at all so uh, it's a great opportunity just to learn uh, the language uh, in situ uh, there's nothing better than doing that uh, I was absolutely hopeless at languages at school and I've ended up uh, speaking three foreign languages, which uh, I never thought I would end up doing, uh, but it's, uh, it's a whole difference uh, when you actually uh, go and be part of a community and to, just to socialize, to, to go and do what you hope to achieve demands the, a level of, uh, of language to be able to communicate God's love, his compassion, to be able to help. And uh, so we're there with this program to help facilitate um, uh, maybe personal dreams maybe it's not very clear what you what it is that you'd like to do uh, maybe it is, uh, but we'd love to hear from you speak to you and explore possibilities of uh, of going cross-culturally um, I'd like to just uh, pray, and then we're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to look at uh, the calling of Moses. Uh, I think it's really good, uh, especially if... uh, How how many of the eight or nine that are on the mission trip are here in the room at the moment? Oh, right, most of you. That's good. Uh, So I'm hoping that uh, this word this morning will strike a chord with you and will help uh, the rest of us to know how to, to pray uh, perhaps uh, a little bit more intelligently, sort of identifying the challenges, the fears, the doubts that uh, inevitably we have. We, we sign up with uh, great enthusiasm, don't we? And then we think, oh, what have I let myself in for? Uh, and uh, maybe you're at that uh, zone at this, uh, at this time. So I hope that this word will really encourage you. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we still our hearts and our minds before you at uh, At the start of this year, recognizing your journeying with us, your helping hand, your graciousness in leading us to the point that we're at at this moment, we thank you for glimpses that we've had of yourself, of your will and purposes, your love that has given us a sense of new identity and being and value. And uh, we thank you for all that you are committed to us. And when we look at ourselves, we, we know we wax and wane. We, 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 we grow warm and we're passionate. And at other times we cool down and uh, we wish it weren't so. And uh, so we ask your forgiveness at the start of this new year and pray that uh, our wills would be made stronger that in the times of temptation, in the times of cooling off we would know your spirit and when there are choices to be made that we would seek you and cry out to you and to ask for your help, your grace, to help us overcome difficulties uh, and making the right choices, choices that are marked with courage uh, choices that are a reflection of your value and purpose and uh, the function that you'd have us uh, be and and make in this life. And so we ask uh, your forgiveness and and not um, taking this as just a, a matter of fact, but that you give us renewed hearts and a steadfast spirit to want to walk the straight and narrow way that we would seek you uh, as we go forward into this year and be people that make courageous choices and not just safe choices choices that demand faith and not choices that we can just serve uh, from our own resources help us to grow as your people whether it be going to another part of the world or staying here Uh, help us to be Uh, your light in our community, in our workplaces, in our homes where there may be a lot of challenge from children, from parents, from uh, even a spouse. Uh, Help us to be good testimonies. Give us the grace to know how to uh, answer, how to behave. Uh, Make us a people of love, a people who go the extra mile people who are wise and discerning. We ask all these things uh, in the name of Jesus and for his sake that he may have the preeminence that people would see him, that uh, he would be the one that would leave the lingering presence after we have gone and said and done all these things. We pray too for that mission team as well, thanking you for the encouragement of the Uh, funds that have come together, and uh, pray for a readiness to to go and serve, a readiness to take hold of a God who is so very great, realizing our own smallness, our own finiteness, realizing that uh, we soon come to the end of our own resources, especially in another country and context. And may those be times when we can prove your faithfulness, that uh, the little that we can offer, you will take and make it a great blessing to the people of Ecuador in that community. We thank you for that object lesson of a wee lad who gives uh, five fish and two pita breads to the Lord, and with it he feeds 5,000. We thank you that you are God who multiplies the small that we give, the one who uses us in all our weakness to bring blessing beyond our own imagination. And we thank you for who you are and praise you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read a well-known text. It's from Exodus Chapter Three this morning, and um, I'm going to read the first uh, twelve verses and we'll dip into uh, chapter four as well as we uh, look at uh, God's call upon Moses um, and uh, his response to that call his uh, his very human concerns and doubts, the the thoughts and attitudes that he expresses, uh, really come out in chapter 4 and how the Lord responds to those things. So let's read from um, chapter 3, reading from verses 1 to 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I've uh, entitled the the message that uh, the Lord laid on my heart as uh, the Almighty and the Unlikely. And uh, when we, uh, especially when we go into chapter 4 and uh, see some of the the doubts and the fears that Moses very candidly uh, reveals to the Lord, we think how unlikely a choice it is uh, of God to choose an old man that became uh, a nobody, really, in the Midian Desert. We know his earlier life was... uh, that he was fished out of the river by Pharaoh's uh, by, uh, daughter through her officials and brought up in the palace. He had uh, uh, a startling uh, first 40 years of his life until he went on the run. And uh, thereafter, it was uh, a, a case of anonymity, obscurity of living out his days, tending sheep in the uh, Midian desert. But when God calls us to serve, it's not a call to serve in our own strength. We're called to be available. We're called to um, to move forward in trust, in faith, in what God can do in and through us. It's like a two-sided coin. On the one side, we have the image of God, and that gives us a sense of authority that he is in control. But on the other side, as you flip the coin over, is a picture of ourselves. And it's not uh, such an encouraging image that uh, God is calling us into uh, a mission situation to free the oppressed. In this case, a nation that had come under slavery. And he calls Uh, an old man who's become uh, a keeper of sheep in the backwater of the Midian Desert to accomplish this task. Obviously, it's not him on his own, but it's God choosing to operate through an individual to do this. And so mission is is about this picture of God on one side, and on the other side, the same coin, uh, our own image, that God chooses to Work in and through us normally. So serving is uh, about uh, a partnership. We feel unequal to the task, unworthy, uh, often unwilling, as we're going to find out with, uh, with Moses uh, in, uh, into chapter 4. But God knows who He is calling. You know, when you think of the first disciples He calls, you know, it was probably not the crew that we would have uh, chosen. Uh, Recently I was in the Philippines and I was doing uh, a series on the early life of David and um, the the men that came early on to David's um, leadership weren't people that they weren't choice people they were people who were discontent some who were fleeing from the law uh, people who were uh, tired of the of the times that they were living in, people that were discontent, people that were in debt. And uh, this motley crew uh, were called by God and put under David's leadership, and they become a community, uh, a community that God uses and blesses to be uh, a righteous kingdom uh, in the future. So God knows who he's calling, who he's dealing, and uh, again, looking at those first disciples as well. Um, many of them, you know, unschooled men, uh, and yet uh, people that God chooses because he sees the heart, he sees the potential. Uh, even when we don't uh, see all the fullness of what we can become ourselves, God does, and he puts a- enormous trust and conviction to work with us to make it work out. But right at the beginning of this passage, what is really crucial is is the one who is calling Moses. And we go back to verse 2 again. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him uh, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses said. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he goes on to reveal who he is. I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is an essential encounter for Moses at the beginning. It's an essential encounter that we have in in going to live the Christian life. Um, We need to know the character, the identity of the one that we are following. And especially when we are called to challenging uh, circumstances, whether it be you know, cross-cultural mission or maybe just being daily Christian light in your household. And it might be really difficult in your household uh, at this time. Or being singled out as the only Christian in your workplace and uh, people uh, making light of that, making fun and uh, perhaps discounting you on account of it, is tough. But what is essential is that we uh, need to know the one that we're following. For Moses, here was an encounter with one who was otherworldly. God came in uh, in holy fire, uh, an element that uh, is mysterious uh, that we can burn ourselves on. Uh, an element that is used for purifying, for heating. And uh, here is an encounter with the Holy One of God, and before whom we need to remove our shoes. We are unworthy, and we feel small, insignificant. And I'm sure Moses felt all those, uh, those things. And we often feel that after the first flush of excitement, saying, yes, I'm up for this Ecuador trip, and suddenly thinking what it entails, and thinking, uh, getting uh, uh, concerned how we're going to cope, Uh, and not even living by the standards that I set for myself, let alone God's high standards. But we have one who is merciful. We have one who comes and meets with Moses, who comes and meets with us where we are at here and now. And that's the crucial thing is that it's God's calling, God identifying with us, God inviting us to partake with him in his rescue plan to liberate his slaves, to bring a saving knowledge of who he is to a people living in darkness. The three things uh, I just want to pick out of this passage. One is... uh, is God's purpose. His his purpose is to rescue Israel through Moses. Secondly is his promise, his promise that he will be with Moses, that he will be with you as you go to Ecuador. He will be with you as you go start each day and go to the workplace that might be hostile or going back to a home that might be hostile. He will be with you to work these things out and lastly is the, um, is the problem, uh, Moses' own doubts and fears that he puts down on the table before God, that uh, God would uh, rescue him and deliver him and give him, bring him to a place of confidence of, uh, of being able to take up this challenge. So looking at the first one, God's purpose, it's God's concern is our concern. If we look at verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. We see a God who isn't remote, who isn't just standing on the touch lines, just waiting for things just to run down uh, and come to an end. We see one who is looking on, who is concerned, uh, who is involved. In verse 8, we read on, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We see this rescue operation as part of a journey. It's not just to seize them out of the jaws of death and slavery and oppression. But to liberate them, to bring justice, but in so doing to lead them forward into a place that of, of plenty, a picture of God's provision for them, of his spirit being with them to enable them to live this new life, this new calling, free from the injustices and the oppressions of the superpower of its day. And in verse 9, we read, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And up to this point, Moses is probably thinking, he was likewise concerned when he was a young man for his fellow Hebrew slaves. Although he had the uh, privilege of growing up in Pharaoh's court, he identified with his origins. He knew that he was a Jew that he was one that, of a people who were being oppressed. And that bothered him. It bothered him so much as to want to uh, do something about it. But Moses' response was, in, in a moment of anger, he sees uh, an Egyptian soldier maltreating one of his own people. And uh, in that moment of anger, he kills the Egyptian soldier. And that precipitates him being on a run, and ending up forty years later in the place that we find him at now, and so Moses is probably thinking, "That's oh, great. God has uh, has appeared to me. He's given me assurance that he's come down. He's heard the he's heard the cry. He's heard the um, the the prayers of his people, and God is going to do something about it." And that probably pleased Moses' heart. I just want to pause at this point because often we are the answer to the the prayers of other people. Um, Let me just go on to verse 10, just to make the point. Because the Lord says, so now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Up until verse 10, it was all about God hearing, God that was... Um, concerned coming down to do something about it and then suddenly in verse 10 I'm going to do it through you I'm calling you, you're the one that's going to do this rescue and um, I just want to pick out a a modern day example of this and um, uh, there is a a Bolivian woman who's uh, started a, a work in doing outreach to street kids And uh, she got to a point where um, the family got involved and her uncle had provided uh, a home for the children. Um, And although the children were going out trying to make a living on the streets, selling cigarettes and shining shoes and things, it wasn't enough to run uh, a children's home. And her parents asked her to, uh, right, you just have to finish this project. We can't go on sacrifice after sacrifice. You have to turn the children out onto the street. And uh, this young woman, she went to her room and she cried out to the Lord. She was was, uh, not only frustrated but she was angry because it was God's work. It wasn't her plan to start this. God had kind of Uh, Like in a moment here, I've come down and telling you, you're going to do this rescue work. And it came came to a point of great challenge. And she cried out to the Lord in prayer, Lord, unless you do something really quickly, this work is doomed. And the the welfare of these kids is going to be far worse than before I met with them because I'll have betrayed their trust. And it's taken ages to win their trust. And within a week of that prayer, um, it's what the world would say, well, what coincidence, but we know as God's people that in God's providence, as, as this young woman prayed, somebody else in our organization heard about this work and thought, I'll go, it just felt a kind of conviction. I must go and meet with this young woman, see how the work is doing. And so God called Uh, As that woman prayed, he put it on the mind of uh, one of our uh, Latin link members to go and get in touch with her. And that was the start of a new partnership. It rescued the home. The kids could stay. And uh, that project just grew uh, and grew. It's a lovely example of of us being an answer to the prayers of somebody else. And... uh, we 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 often look for God's direct intervention, but uh, so often it is through uh, circumstances, people, and events that God responds. So um, here we have this bombshell that is for uh, for uh, for Moses, and, uh, and and Moses's response in verse eleven, kind of. Uh, indicates this state of mind. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, who am I? And uh, I think time and time and again, God's people down through the centuries have uh, have often cried out the same. Who, who am I to to start teaching Sunday school to, to children? You know, it's, this has to be a first time for everything. Who am I to come up front and to open up God's word and to, to bring a message. Who am I to go to Ecuador, or to India or to Africa, and uh, you know, in, in a three-week trip, and what do I hope to achieve in that time? You know who, who am I? It's a kind of reality sense of uh, I'm so finite, I'm just me. What can I do? It was said of uh, Hudson Taylor that he was a man small enough for God to use. And it's significant, isn't it, that God is calling one who was once a prince but is now a shepherd. He calls him when when he's a shepherd, when he's become humble and small enough, rather than calling the prince who had all the power resources uh, available uh, for him. But he calls us in our brokenness, in our availability, in our willingness to want to make a a small difference, like that young lad that I referred to uh, giving his packed lunch to the Lord, and the Lord using the small that we can offer to bring a big blessing. Secondly, uh, what I really want to underline is uh, God's promising His presence. In verse 12, we read, God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. There are many uh, instances in Scripture when we read this same promise, I will be with you. Uh, Jesus says that to his disciples as just before he was taken up into heaven, reminding them all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he finishes with that command with this lovely promise. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I will be with you. He says that to Joshua as well as uh, Joshua has that reality check before the walls of Jericho and sees the enormity of the task. How on earth can we overcome the city uh, with the resources that we have? And, uh, and God sending uh, the angel of the Lord and, uh, as an indicator, I will be with you. And we have a, a lovely promise, which uh, Billy Graham often quoted. I don't know, uh, uh, it seems to be one of these anonymous quotes that has, uh, has become somewhat mainstream. But uh, it's a lovely quote. It says, The will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. I'll just repeat that, because it's uh, it, it just in this neat phrase. It really encapsulates a huge spiritual truth. The will of God, or the call of God, will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Meaning as we respond to God's call, we are committing to him, committing to his plan. And he's already said, I will be with you. I'm committed to you. And I will give you the grace. So long as you are reliant upon me, so long as you realize your finiteness, uh, your physical limitations to... Be able to serve and uh, uh, and make a difference so long as we give that to the Lord and uh, and, and prayer and and following his leading, God said His grace will sustain us in that call and uh, Scripture is so full of that uh, uh, that promise, and we know from the outcome of what happens with the with the plagues in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, the time in uh, Sinai and then coming into Israel, God fulfills his word. He, he gives the grace. Uh, it is his mission. It is his deliverance. And uh, we are partners. We are partakers of, of the one who operates, who is the mastermind, who is the power, the presence that we depend and rely upon. And then he says, uh, this this promise at the end of verse 12, uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It's not a kind of promise that uh, kind of gives a lot of confidence, is it? It's just saying, you know, if you do this, uh, you know, I'm promising to you uh, the people that you will bring out of Egypt will be here uh, upon the foot of this mountain. And it's something that you've got to take in faith, isn't it? It's not—it's not kind of um, uh, the sure presence uh, uh, of here and now. It's something that we have to appropriate in faith, uh, take God at His word, and this is what faith is about. If if we knew the you know the, the certainty of things, there wouldn't be the need for faith. But here is a call to faith, you know. I'm promising I will be with you. And, you know, this faith, this this promise also that the, your people will be at this mountain. You have to take in confidence and faith. I will do it. What I say, I will do. But it needs your, um, your willingness to go along with this. And so often we find in the Christian life that... Um, Faith is challenging. We don't have the answers. We don't know the outcome. We fear that it might not be as we would hope. And uh, we're going to be let down and uh, we'll lose face and look stupid. And there is that risk, isn't it? And uh, faith is given to us to overcome, to counter that risk. Again, it was Hudson Taylor that said, uh, you know, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. And this is all about faith. It's all about faith and going to Ecuador. It's all about faith starting this new year with those promises, those resolutions, those hopes and dreams that we hope to do for the Lord, that it is in faith that God will work in and through us, but it takes our commitment and our trusting and our following, even when we don't know how it's going to be. We look into uh, chapter 4. Moses answers, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Um. I think that's the same issue that uh, many of us have, you know, when we feel perhaps um, challenged to share our faith with someone. And we think, well, maybe this isn't the right time, or they're not in a right position to hear this. Maybe it's somebody that uh, uh, we least expect to for God to call, and yet there's this kind of constraint within us to to share something of our faith, to be transparent about who we are and what we believe. And uh, there's this spoken concern. What if they do not believe me or listen to me or say that the Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord answers this concern uh, with a couple of object lessons in verses 2 to 7 of uh, chapter 4. Uh, he uses Moses' staff. He says, so throw the staff down. It becomes a snake. Take the snake by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. And uh, the other object lesson is put your hand inside your cloak, and he pulls it out, and it's white and with leprosy. Again, he passes his hand inside the cloak, and following God's command, and, uh, uh, and pulls it out from the cloak, and it's made whole again. Object lessons to show this doubter that God is indeed with him, that he is working alongside us in our insecurities and our doubts, our, our issues of faith, our confidence in being able to take God at his word. And um, God is, is showing through these small things that he is one not only going to be with him, but it's going to be his power, his, his grace, his authority, that is going to change men's and women's hearts. And that is the confidence that uh, we have as well, uh, that it is God's work. Uh, It requires our obedience, our trust, our faith, our faith that will be honored. I'll just tell you uh, uh, a story. Uh, When I was in Brazil, uh, I was out with uh, a street ministry team to uh, an area called Cracolândia in the middle of São Paulo, in one district of São Paulo, and uh, the team went there every day. But uh, when I joined them early in the morning, they there was no rush to go out in the streets. You could feel the apprehension, even though this is something they did daily. I'd heard stories of what it was like. This Crackolandia place was where crack cocaine was dealt. Uh, it was a no-go area. Nobody lived there. Uh, the police had cordoned it off. And uh, it was like walking into no man's land. And this is something that they did not do lightly. They spent time praying, time reflecting on God's word, singing his praises, and in a way filling themselves so full of God's presence to give them the confidence, the daring courage to step into this uh, deplorable district of Sao Paulo. And uh, I guess at the start of each day, they, they knew their own fallibilities, their own failings, their own shortcomings, their own sinfulness, And I'm thinking, how can I, who, you know, be God's witness, God's light, uh, God's ambassador, God's champion in a a realm of such uh, deplorable darkness? And as that team went in, I was very aware of a sense of God's presence about them. Because I don't have Portuguese, I perhaps I was more in tune with uh, how they were coming across. And uh, those addicts that were between trips were of a state of mind to see these people. And they were drawn to them in an extraordinary way. Uh, It it didn't require the team to go up to people. People naturally sought them out. They were like people of light in a very depraved, dark, and desperate place. And uh, men and women and uh, young people came with tears, desperate to want to put themselves right, right from their addictions, but also looking upon this group of people as something outside of their world, outside of their ken, who trailed something of God's presence, his love, his acceptance, his, his compassion to go and rescue at the Eleventh uh, hour. C.T. Studd uh, is quoted as saying these words: "Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell." C.T. Studd was uh, one of these amazing missionaries that uh, had time in China, in India, and latterly in Africa. The founder of WEC International, and uh, you know, he was one that was one of God's courageous people maybe, you know, started off Moses-like, but God took hold of him and uh, filled him with faith and courage to do extraordinary things. Well, let's move on to uh, just this final section about doubts and excuses. In verse 10 of uh, chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, "'O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant.'" I'm slow of speech and tongue. And uh, that's something that I very much relate to. Uh, I'm, I'm not naturally eloquent. I'm not somebody that would put myself ever forward to, to speak in a church. And uh, the first few times, you know, it was difficult. And uh, uh, I'm just not a natural And I totally identify with what Moses is saying here. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord says to him this in verse 11, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. In a way, it's very encouraging, isn't it, that we don't have to uh, make the great and, uh, you know, be accomplished people before, we, before God will be prepared to look and, at us and use us. But he uses us in our deficiencies. He uses us in our doubts and our fears. But he's calling us to trust. And if we will trust, God is promising to help the very things that we feel weak in, God says, yeah, I'll help you to speak. I'll help you to do this. Uh, my power will be evident if you only will go. I'll be the one that will do these these signs and wonders if you will be willing just to step forward and to trust me. Again, it's a, it's a great indictment to us as we're feeling... Weak, uh, uh, unholy, um, far from where we would like to be in the Christian life. This is uh, a a lovely uh, chapter for us to take hold of, that God uses us in the here and now. We don't need to make ourselves good or make ourselves holy before God will use us. But are we available? Are we a people who can take faith as small as a mustard seed, to realize these promises of God that he will do what he says. He won't do it in advance. It's, it's a challenge to our faith. Will we follow? Will we be the people that we want to be? Will we do the things that we feel challenged to do? Can we do it uh, in God and, and with his faith in him? And then uh, finally, when all his spoken doubts and fears come to an end, and uh, maybe these some of them are legitimate, but you're starting to get the feeling that he's clutching at excuses, uh, we get to the real crux of the matter in verse 13. Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else. Doesn't want to be bothered. And in a way, who can blame him? I mean, he's 80 years old, uh, well past retirement age, and uh, surely yeah, it's, uh, uh, f- you can understand him saying these things. But God has chosen him, and he's going to live for another 40 years, and uh, he's going to be an extraordinary leader. But at this moment, you know, he's wanting to uh, pass the baton. It's rather like the hobbits that uh, my wife, (laughs) she often likens herself to the hobbits and uh, saying, you know, I just want to get on with the small and quiet, inconsequential things of life and just, you know, run a home and be hospitable, have parties, people around for tea and these sort of things and just get on with the small things of, of life. And there's nothing wrong with that until someone like Gandalf, someone like God comes along and, uh, and calls us directly out of this very nice, comfortable nest that we're in and challenges us to do something extraordinary. And so, just to come to a conclusion, how are we listening to God at the start of this year? How are we perceiving what he is saying? What are the excuses? What are the doubts and the natural fears? We all have them. How are we going to deal with them? How can we take on God's promise that I will be with you to the very end of the age? That he will give us the resources. He will give us the grace to stand up, the ability to speak, uh, the opportunity to be a people of influence over and beyond our own natural resources are we prepared to step forward into the unknown not quite knowing where it's going it is a scary place but can we have enough faith to for once to to move forward with the things that god challenges us let's pray Father, you know exactly where each of us stands before you. We are an open book, and that is scary. That you see into our lives. Your eyes are like a searchlight. There's nothing hidden. Our thoughts, all our actions, and all all things are going to be laid bare before the eyes of you, to whom we must give account at the end of the age. And it's not out of guilt that we want to be mobilized. It is out of courage, out of this desire to live beyond the comforts and the cozy confines of our lives, to be a brave and courageous people. Help us to make choices that are honoring to you, that require faith. Help us to grow. Help us to take hold of you that in situations where we don't have control, that you would be made that much more known in our lives and through our lives as well as to others. Help us in our genuine strivings, Father. Uh, The fears and doubts that we naturally have help us to know your promise that you will work with us, that we're not finished products, that we are unlikely material. And yet you call us and use us and help us to not miss the boat, but help us to rise to the challenge, whatever that may be at the start of this year. And again, I just pray for those that are going on this mission trip, that uh, they can take hold of you going before them, that this is your appointments. This is your work, and your presence, your power will be with them. And uh, pray that their confidence will never become too much, that they start to rely upon their own resources. But there will be that edge of living by faith, living beyond their own human resources. That you would be the one that will be receive the glory. That you would be the one that people will see and the lasting impression that will be left of God was with us. And so help us, we pray, uh, as we uh, take, put our hand in your hand and to go into deeper waters this year, uh, into unknown areas where we haven't uh, fished before. And may we know your presence throughout, your forgiveness when we get things wrong, when we foul up, that we know that you are gracious and will give us uh, a fresh start and a new opportunity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.